All right, prayer. All earthly things with earth will fade away, but prayer grasps eternity. Prayer is not a position, whether you need. Prayer is not a position, it's a disposition. You get to the place where you'd rather sweat, you'd rather weep in his presence than laugh in anybody else's presence. You'd rather God whisper a secret into your heart that breaks you. Somebody give you the prizes that all the world covets. Prayer is almost the greatest human privilege that we have. Right. We're starting a new series uh, called 29 Days of Prayer. Um, typically what happens as a church is uh, we kick off the year in January with 21 days of prayer and fasting. And, uh, and this year, because we had the missions trip in the middle of January and uh, the way that the first of the year landed and stuff, we just felt like uh, it would maybe be an afterthought and not get given the attention that it needed. And so uh, we decided to, to postpone that and push it towards uh, to February. Uh, I recognize that today is the second, and so technically, if you have not started already, uh, it is 28 days of prayer and fasting. But today's a leap year, or this month's a leap year, and so uh, we just wanted, as a reminder, that we're going to go all the way to the 29th uh, with our prayer and, and fasting. Now, I, I want to talk a little bit about the fasting component, and then we're going to talk a lot about the prayer component. Primarily, the, uh, this idea of what it would look like to be a participant in a prayer meeting. Uh, but the fasting component, really, uh, one of the greatest examples that we see in this is uh, from Daniel. Uh, Daniel was given all of the, uh, the choicest foods that, he, that you could think of of his time. And he, he tells us in Daniel chapter 10, he says, At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. I've joked about this passage before because I'm like, I'm the guy that's like, okay, I'll I'll fast lotions uh, for three weeks. That'll be my fast uh, this year. Um, No, it's interesting, you know, he... He says, there's, uh, I'm not going to, uh, he said, I'm, I'm going to set aside all that is desirable, and I'm going to seek the Lord in this. I, I ate no choice food. But notice he still ate fruits and vegetables. If you do a Daniel fast, it's actually a thing. There's old books written about it. And uh, you could, if you do a Daniel fast, it's basically fruits and vegetables and water is, and and that is the definition of no choice food, right? Daniel put aside the meat, the choices of food, and decided to just eat fruits and vegetables and dedicate that time mourning and worshiping and praying and listening to God. And so if you're not familiar with a fast, a fast is, is taking something that is the choicest thing in your life, and putting it aside and setting aside some time to connect because there's something that happens when we participate in that connection with heaven that God moves and works and there's breakthrough in our life. And so I just want to invite you to join all of us in fasting. And I realize the irony of challenging you to fast on Super Bowl Sunday. 
The good news is that we are not legalists here. We don't, we're not legalistic. We're not religious. We're not saying, well, you have to do it this way. You have to start on this day. No, we're just saying, hey, at some point, because I realize I don't have enough influence and authority in your life to keep you from jalapeno poppers this afternoon. It's just not going to happen. I know it. But could we as a church commit to looking at a season and a time in our month in the next 28 days to set aside the choicest of things and really begin to dedicate that time to the Lord and see what God does, see how God moves, and see what prayers he begins to answer in your life. So I want us to talk about uh, the emphasis today of, of this idea of prayer meeting. Prayer meeting is something that has been around forever. Prayer meeting uh, began actually with the disciples in the upper room in Acts chapter 2, but it's continued on throughout church history that, that, it, that even up to recently when I was a kid, I remember that there was a time that was dedicated in our church where we would gather and we would pray. It was called prayer meeting. But somewhere along the lines, what we've seen is that in the midst of our busyness, in the midst of our schedules, uh, we have neglected, I think, this dedicated time to gather together and pray with one another, to really focus our, our hearts, to focus our minds, to really contend for God to move and work. And so I want us to kind of back up a little bit into history, and I want to see what is, if we were to do a prayer meeting, if we were to have a prayer meeting like the disciples had a prayer meeting, what would be the markers of that meeting? I'm going to start in Acts chapter 4, verse 23. It says, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. And in verse 29, it says, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. To speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand, God, to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. In verse 31, it says, After they prayed, the place that they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Such a great picture of one of the very first prayer meetings that took place. And if the prayer meetings of the Bible are our standard, we should probably see at least a couple markers of that prayer meeting. The first thing is the presence of God. There ought to be a connection with his presence, that God actually wants to reveal himself to and through us. That there's, there's something so comforting about a God who wants to connect with his people, to connect in the midst of his presence. It's likened to a child who comes into the safety 
and into the, the comforting arms of a loving father, there's this safety, there's this security when you're in the presence of God. Scripture, as I said earlier, says, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It is in his presence that we experience the rest that we so desperately desire. The second thing that our prayer meeting probably should have in it is the power of God. There ought to be transformation in our lives. There ought to be transformation in our family, in our world, in the world that we live in, in the people that we come into contact with, in our workplace, in our neighborhoods, that that God should, should be so present, that the power of God would be so present that that when we leave for the prayer meeting, that things change. If we look at the second chapter of the book of Acts, we'll see that the prayer meeting is the place for this reception, this, this, this experience of God's divine power. It says in verse 1 that they were all together in one place, which again, Reiterates, reiterates the fact that we should gather together to pray. It says they were all together in one place, lifting up their prayer, and as they waited there, suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. They were clothed with the power which Jesus had promised them. It made a difference in these guys' life, but, but let me just stop and pause for a moment. I think part of the reason that we have this uh, skepticism or this, this reluctancy to participate in a prayer meeting is, is because what if we gathered together to pray like the disciples did, and what if that actually happened? What if the place started shaking? Now, how many of you have ever been in a prayer meeting where the place began to shake? It's probably in California. Um, it's a little bit different. But that the presence of God was there, that the place began to shake. When was the last time we were in a prayer meeting and miraculous healings took place? See, I think there's almost this, this fear, this anxiety that exists among us because when we read things like they, uh, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, we're like, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure about all that. And so we avoid moments that could possibly lend itself to the miraculous work of God in our life because we're afraid. If we're being honest, we're, we're kind of concerned. You're like, I don't like fire in general, but tongues of fire, that, that sounds awful. But in these men who gathered together, it made a difference. Regular, everyday fishermen all of a sudden become these extraordinary messengers of the gospel of Jesus. Illiterate men speak languages that they've never even heard before. They begin to reveal mysteries which had not been revealed to philosophers and kings. 
These men were lifted out of this level, this, this ordinary, everyday humanity. And the result was that this Peter who was kind of wavering back and forth in, in his heart, all of a sudden boldly proclaims the message of Christ. That John, who, who would have just as easily asked for fire to come down and smite the Samaritans, that John now all of a sudden received a fire from heaven that didn't bring destruction but brought healing and hope to people. It made a difference. And I think it's something that could make a difference in our church, in our lives. See, I believe that the great need of the church at all times is the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit, don't get me wrong. In fact, uh, most churches, if you click on the, if you go to their website, you click on the About Us, the What We Believe, double click, brings up the list of what we believe, you will find the Holy Spirit there. The Holy Spirit is going to be on there. It's going to be on our website as well. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And most churches would say, yes, we believe in the Holy Spirit. But I wonder how many or maybe how few are there who actually expect for the Holy Spirit to move. See, there's this mysterious, supernatural thing that comes from the third person of the Trinity, from the Holy Spirit. And I think we, you know, we downplay it a little bit. But I think if we're being honest, there's the, we maybe have gone to church for a very, very, very long time. But it seems like we keep searching for something that is missing. There's something that's, that, that, that is supernatural, that is hope-filled, that is powerful, that we just seem to miss. If we want to experience the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, oftentimes, it is found in a place called a prayer meeting. We shy away from those, though, those different kinds of prayer meetings, don't we? Maybe you've been in an experience where you've gone to a prayer meeting, and to be honest, you said to yourself, you'd never go back. You went to a prayer meeting, you stepped out of your comfort zone, you went and you experienced something that you were like, uh, no one's got time for that. That's not our prayer time on Saturdays, by the way. But Charles Spurgeon, he addresses this with his people in his church, and, and he, he says, you know, there's really some hindrances when it comes to the, the gathering of people for a prayer meeting. There's actually some things that will keep us from doing that. And I want to use Charles Spurgeon because he's dead. And if you're offended by anything that I'm about to share with you, it's really hard to be offended by Charles Spurgeon. I mean, you can be offended by him, but he's dead. I have to see you next week. And, uh, and so what I'm sharing with you, you can't be offended at me. I didn't say this. 
Charles Spurgeon said this. And I know you think that, oh, it's not going to be that bad. It's because you weren't here for first service. The first hindrance that Charles Spurgeon says that will keep people from coming and gathering together in a prayer meeting, the first thing is personal. It's us. It's, it's the hindrance of unholiness. That there's some hindrances before the people even step foot into the room. Unholiness hinders prayer. A man or a woman cannot walk in contrary to God and then expect to have their prayers heard. Jesus said, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. There is a promise made to those who keep God's commands. They will have power with God. But on the other hand, inconsistent Christians will not be answered. Charles Spurgeon's words. The second thing is the hindrance of discord. This is somewhat of an obvious one, but discord always spoils prayer. When believers don't agree and are picking each other apart, they don't really love one another, and then their prayers cannot succeed. Discord spoils prayer. There's the hindrance of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy always spoils prayer. Spurgeon says, for hypocrites will creep in. You, you cannot help it. The larger the church, the more, I believe. Do hypocrites get in just as you see many a noxious, creeping thing come and get into a garden after a rain shower? The very things that make the flowers glad bring out the noxious things. And likewise, hypocrites get in and drain much of the church's sap away and help spoil the prayer meeting. Now, which among you does this belong to? I, I'm, not asking, I don't, I'm not asking you guys. This is his church. His church is obviously jacked up. <laughs> I'm not reflecting upon a person in particular. He kind of covers his, his rear. He's like, but God knows why some of you don't ever come to the prayer meeting. Some of you, I know, have business that really prevents you coming and others are serving Christ in other ways that keeps them away. But surely some of our friends who have no other urgent engagement or duty constantly stay away from the prayer meeting. I only wish that their consciences were even half awake for I am sure it would convict them for neglecting this duty. I wish that they would feel ashamed that they have missed this very great privilege. For had they come with us, they might have drawn near to God and been healed in their hearts and their souls. That's brutal. I wish I had the guts to speak to you this way. <laughs> he kind of moves then from the individual and he moves towards some of those things that maybe some of us avoid meetings like this. Because of. He says there's the hindrance of long prayers. There are some things which hinder the prayer meeting when we are there praying. One is long prayers. It is dreadful to hear a brother or sister pray us into a good frame of mind and heart and then, by their long prayer, pray us out of it again. <laughs> he said, you remember what John McDonald once said? He said, when I am in a bad frame of mind, I always pray short prayers because my prayer will not be of any use. And when I am in a good frame of mind and heart, I pray short prayers, because if other people are in a good frame too, I might, if kept on longer, pray them into a bad frame. Long prayers then spoil prayer meetings, for long prayers and true devotion in our public assemblies 
seem much to be divorced from one another. Number five, just to keep it light, there's the hindrance of preaching little sermons in our prayers. Prayer meetings are also hindered when those who get up to pray do not pray but preach a little sermon. And they tell the Lord all about themselves, though he knows them better than they do, instead of immediately asking for what they want, which leads to hindrance number six. There's only 12. No, I'm just kidding. There's, there's only nine. Number six is the hindrance of a lack of being direct with our prayers. Prayer meetings are often hindered by a lack of directness and by beating around the bush. Spurgeon says, I did admire a prayer I heard at the last prayer meeting in which a brother said, Lord, the orphanage needs money, 3,000 pounds to be exact. Please send it. That was a straightforward request. Another brother would have said, Lord, we have a great difficulty in our work. Please help us. Please provide for us. Please care for us. But this brother just stated the case, and I think he believed that God would hear him. Another way to never grow weary in prayer is to do as a good Scotsman said he did. He said, I never go to God unless I have business to do with him, unless there's something I want to praise him for, to confess to him, or to seek at his hands. Spurgeon says we must not come merely with well-sounding words and polished English, but really to pray, and really to praise, and really to confess and seek cleansing. And if we do this, if we do this, the prayer meeting will not disappoint. Number seven, the hindrance of a lack of real intensity in our prayers. I thought this was an interesting one. Prayer meetings are sometimes hindered by this lack of real intensity in those who pray and in those who pray in silence. Oh, brothers and sisters, one warm, hearty prayer is worth 20 of those packed in ice. I fear that much of our prayer is lost because we don't sufficiently throw our hearts into it. It's possible for us to attend the prayer meeting and all the while be thinking of other things at home, the infant in the nursery or the office, the factory, and who knows what else. Is it any wonder then that our prayer stops? The brother who prays may be burning with intense desire, but his prayer lags because we are not backing it with silent agreement and passionate longing for God's blessing. Oh, brothers and sisters, we have often spoiled our prayer meetings this way. We have each, I fear, in our turn, done something towards it. Let us pray that we may never again sin in this way. There's the hindrance of a lack of faith. The prayer meeting may also be spoiled after we have been to it. How, you say, why by asking a blessing and then not expecting to receive it. God has promised that he will answer us according to our faith, but if our faith is nothing, then the answer, everyone, is nothing. And then the final one, again, as I remind you, that Charles Spurgeon is admonishing his church over, and we're just referencing to judge his church is inconsistency. The hindrance of inconsistency in our prayers. Inconsistency and in not practically carrying out your desires will also spoil the prayer meeting. If you ask God to convert souls, but you will not do anything for those souls, 
If you ask God to save your children, but you won't talk to your children about their salvation. If you ask God to save your neighbors and you don't distribute tracts among them or do anything else for them, are you not truly a hypocrite? You pray, but you refuse to do anything to affect an answer. You pray for fruit, but you will not put out your hand to pick it. And all those spoils the prayer meeting. Earnest prayer, however, is always to be followed up by persevering efforts. And then, and then the result will be very great. I've experienced moments of these. I've participated in moments of these. But our commitment has been and always will be to not create that kind of an environment where we gather together to pray, but that we come and we seek the face of God. We contend for the things that are going on in your life. We pray for the church, pray for our country at times, pray for the culture that we live in, because it's important Prayer is important. The importance of prayer is is this, that just as God has designed the preaching of the gospel to be the means through which people are saved, prayer is the means he has ordained by which he will work on earth and meet the needs of his people. Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. James 4, 2 reminds us that you desire but you don't have. So you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want so you quarrel and fight. It says you do not have because you don't ask. These specific verses are confirming by the whole pattern of Scripture that God works through prayer. And if we don't pray, we won't see the hand of God. The second thing of the importance of prayer is that God did not complete any of his work in the Bible without doing it through prayer. Whenever God was about to, to move in a certain direction, he first raised up someone of prayer, whether it be Moses or Daniel or David or Jesus or Paul, that there was always someone that was raised up to lead out in prayer. The other important thing about prayer is the only thing ever recorded that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them about was prayer. The disciples never asked Jesus to teach them how to give a really good parable. They didn't ask Jesus to teach them how to preach or teach or how to perform miracles. No, they asked him to teach them how to pray because they understood that the source of his power resulted from his relationship with God through prayer. Number four, Jesus is our standard. He modeled the necessity of prayer. Let me give you the importance of praying with other people. Because oftentimes I think we've fallen into this trap that assumes that I can have a prayer life in isolation. And we miss something of value that takes place when we gather together to pray. 90% of the time that Jesus, nearly 90% of the time that Jesus commanded us to pray or gave a condition for God to answer, he did it in a plural form. After the confession of Peter, 
we see that almost all of his prayer times involved the disciples. The apostles listed preaching the word and leading the people of God to pray as the two most important ministries that they could participate in. The example that we see in Scripture comes when the disciples are talking to people about the distribution of food. And he says, brothers and sisters, choose seven among you, uh, seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. The third thing about doing prayer together is that God's modern working around the world today reveal the greatest move of God ever. Christianity is rapidly advancing all over the world. If you look in China, in India, in Africa, Central and South America, the advancement of Christianity is taking place. According to one researcher, if Christianity keeps growing at the same pace that it is today, the whole world will be Christian by 2032. One of the common denominators in all of those locations that I just listed off for you is that people gather together to pray. In general, there are only a few places in the world where the gospel is declining or not advancing. Australia, Japan, Western Europe, and North America. I wonder what would happen if we put an emphasis on gathering together to pray. The implications of this is you will not see God move in sufficient measures in your life, the life of our church, the life of our culture, if we don't take time to pray. The implication is that there will be no turnaround in the moral implosion in the culture until churches and Christians begin to pray together. Because when we pray together, we're strengthened. When we pray together, we receive the power to resist temptation. When we pray together, we deepen our love for one another. When we pray together, our needs are met. And so I'm wondering if you will join us in prayer. Not prayer on a Sunday morning, although we will do that, but I'm talking about a dedicated time to pray. I recognize that there are some of you with businesses and, and things going on in your life that would prevent you to come on a Saturday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. But in the words of Charles Spurgeon, there are many of you who don't have anything going on and you choose not to show up. I said I wouldn't say it. He said it. What would take place if, as a church, we began to press in to the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in this place? What would happen if, in the midst of prayer, the ground shook, miracles took place, and our world 
that we live in would be transformed. Let's pray.